Looking to create wealth and income through high cash flowing real estate? Self-storage is the fastest growing and the newest real estate asset that has outperformed all others. What's its secret? I'm AJ Osborne, and with over a million square feet that we have built, acquired, expanded, and even converted big box stores from small third tier markets to large hundred plus thousand square foot facilities, we have seen it all. This is the podcast that we're going to discuss and bring on the best investors and operators in the nation to show you how to create wealth and income with self-storage. Welcome to Self-Storage Income. Welcome, everybody, to Self-Storage Income. So excited about today's podcast because this is truly going to be a different conversation than we've generally had on this podcast. I think this is going to be a little more reminiscent of the other podcast that I have, Cash Flow to Freedom. If you haven't, go check that one out. But it's going to be more in line with the foundational patterns of wealth and setting up systems and why self-storage plays a role in that and how it can act as a vehicle to achieve financial freedom, to achieve progress. Um, But it's not going to be quite as deep on the storage, although we obviously talk about it. This is self-storage income after all. But we are going to talk a lot about more of the thought processes, uh, particularly that I had when we were starting and there was no clear path. And so the things that led us to develop our strategy and path that has gotten us to where we are now, those concepts are obviously very important uh, to us because they led to where we are. So I'm excited about it. It should be good. A little different. Isn't that right, Connor? Yeah, absolutely, man. No, it's going to be a good episode. Um, and that's, that's what I thought as well. It ties really well into the, uh, the cash flow to freedom podcast. Uh, yes. A lot of what you and rock talk about on there. Um, and it is a good thing to talk about a lot of these, you know, fundamentals, like we talked about earlier, um, that really drive things forward. Um, that give the foundations to, you know, actually build all of these things that we're actually talking about. Yeah. So, no, I think it's going to be a great episode. Super excited and uh, ready to rock and roll, man. Two, I should mention. Guys, You, what would be a huge give to us? If you guys could share this on whatever social media platform you guys use. Ours is, or the one I use is Instagram. If you want to share it, I'll share it back. Um, but that helps us grow a lot. Um, we don't have some big marketing budget. We don't have anything like that at all. Uh, we literally just upload this to iTunes and the other platforms that, uh, people listen to podcasts on. And then we go back to work doing self-storage. So, um, because I am not what one might call a not even a good marketer, a marketer at all. Oh, dude, uh, you're such an influencer. <laughs> like, that's not really our game here. We're storage nerds. Um, so if you guys would mind doing that, that would uh, help us out a lot. And also, too, with that, speaking of help, I wanted to remind everybody, the book, 
an investor's guide to growing wealth and self-storage that I just wrote. Um, it's out. It's a bestseller, which is surprising to me, family, and um, every one of my teachers I've ever had. Uh, and so, <laughs> you know, if you guys leave us a great review on Amazon, we are scheduling 15-minute calls with you guys, and we're also giving the deal, the modeler. I talk a lot about the money on the table, how to find it. And we have a syndication model or two. So we're, you know, those of you guys, you guys support us. We're, we are giving you those things. It's not, that's not even, you know, the syndication model or thing. I don't even think, we don't even sell that. It's just something that we use and I developed a long time ago. So we're just sending it to you guys because uh, you guys are supporting us and we appreciate it. Um, uh, with that said, uh, the book has been killing it. We're the most reviewed right now on Amazon, um, which is great, but, uh, we need, we, I, I'm, for those of you that know me, know, I'm just a little competitive. And so, uh, really trying to blow that out of the water. Um, and the feedback has been, I mean, I've had so many calls and emails with everybody hearing about different situations and opportunities that you guys have and uh, where you're going or if you feel stuck. And that's why I was literally just in my office today responding and looking at your guys' emails. Um, and uh, that's what kind of brought me to today's topic and subject. It, it was the feedback from you guys. Um, so many of you are, we, we, we get a lot of our listeners that are in really two phases. They are um, looking at self-storage as a financial vehicle or they're in self-storage and they're trying to figure out how to take it to the next level. They either want to buy more, they want to improve their operations, they want to grow, they want to understand the industry more. And this is an industry that is growing and thriving. It's an industry that is um, in, a, in its adolescent phase. It's not mature like all the other big ones. And we are in a huge turmoil in the last 20, 30 years of what's going on in real estate and the shift that has happened. Um, a lot of the fundamentals have been not only, not only, you know, really challenged, they've just been obliterated. And with that, self-storage has come out as this vehicle that is an alternative that looks safer, better performing, and everything. And that's a great thing. And I love it. And I think that's why we've had so much success with the podcast and with the book. Um, there's a need for good information. Uh, so with that said, uh, the financial vehicle is really only, I don't care what it is. I don't care if you're using it for business. I don't care if you're doing online businesses, service-based businesses, if you're using it in multifamily, it, it's only as good. Uh, it's a tool like capital or money, and it's only as good in the manner in which you use it and the opportunities that you face. So when looking at that, I kind of want to go back to when we were getting started and a lot of the thought process and concepts that we were building out from our experience in other businesses and why self-storage was so prominent in our minds in developing a path forward. I think that will help a lot of people understand and maybe create a good thought process for you to be thinking about 
when looking at how to move forward or if self-storage is right for you or how to what your goals are and how to build out self-storage in the future. So with that said, um, one of the main things that we focused on is a lot of people, you know, they, they, they build out their goals or they build out what they're thinking. And it's like, what do I want in life? Right. Um, I actually hate this question because <laughs> it's, <laughs> it, it, it seems to be like this question that perplexes all of us for some reason. And there's no clear answer because, um, I think there's some confusion that first of all, we think everything we do, we're going to like, which is not even remotely the case and shouldn't be there. Those expectations shouldn't be there. And so as, you know, I think I was going through this as my business partners were, and those were going around, you know, as a lot of people, these are questions you ask during trying times in your life. Like, what is it do I really want? Am I on the right path? And I find it's a very important question to ask, but too many people ask that question. And every time they go into something and there's things they don't like about it, they just jump to something else. And... I found myself doing that, um, looking for something that maybe was a holy grail that I just loved everything about, had amazing returns and created wealth. And that, that's not how life works. It's just not. So as I, I, as I started thinking about, okay, then what are my goals? Like, what am I trying to achieve? Because, you know, having a fancy car and having material stuff, that, that was never, ever a real goal of mine. Um, I just not into that stuff, right? Other people, you maybe that's fine, that's great. But most those are mostly symbolic things of something else that is really the goal. And for me, I get one of the reasons that I get shiny object syndrome, and one of the reasons that I like doing things like the podcast and writing a book. One of the reasons I actually even do these things is because a long time ago I determined that my goal was fairly simple. Um, my goal was progress, and I think. At the end of the day, when you boil it down, that's most people's goal. If you feel that you're in a better position the next year, financially, mentally, physically, spiritually, your relationships, you feel good about your life. It has nothing to do with what you necessarily have or don't have. It has to do with how you feel about your position relative to the past. And uh, when I started to really look at this, I thought, that's all I want in life is I just want to be better at everything. There is no destination. There is no end because the destination is always getting moved forward. I, I don't remember who was talking about this, but it, it, was, it was great. I, I heard him kind of speaking on, you know, my hero is me in five years. And then when that five years is up, my hero is me in five years from there, right? There's no destination. It's just, it's just a process that they're going along. And your hero is always who you can become. And that is the goal. It is to become better. And, that, and for me, after everything that was going on in life and business, it was like these things are always shifting and always changing, right? For all we know, in 15 years, everybody may go, nobody likes self-storage, obviously, do not think that's the case, but, um, but we don't know, right? Yep. You don't know. So as those things are changing, it's more important on how to progress. And as I started looking at progress, it became really clear to me that these super successful people, they understood their ability to compound 
um, and to grow and use leverage in all aspects of life to fuel growth and to grow quickly. The why this became so important is it, 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 it caused me to do two things. First of all, um, I had to fuse progress and security together. What that meant was I needed to progress, but I'm not gambling. I'm not, it's not, it needs to be, it needs to be continual and incremental progress. So I'm really on financial side, I, I, I'm really merging security and independence and freedom together in a progress form. But um, because progress is so dictated on using uh, leverage as far as, and this is everything, leverage in time and um, leverage with uh, people, family, loved ones, um, you just can't accomplish everything. And this idea of limited resource m- makes people kind of go nuts, right? And you see it everywhere. And so I realized that this idea of money being tied to time um, created an extremely limited aspect because you got to understand, so time is limited. I cannot make more of it. It's impossible. And so if time is connected to money and money just being a resource, then money therefore is limited, uh, which is not true. Money is abstract. It's literally just zeros in a computer. So that's not true at all. The Fed can print off trillions if it wants, and all of a sudden trillions were invented. And by trillions printing off, nobody's actually printing any money. They just added a couple zeros in a computer. It's actually super easy to make money. Um, and that, uh, not saying that that's sustainable. Don't don't think that AJ said, oh, we can just go print our That's <laughs> not what I'm zeros. saying. I'm, I'm, You'll just, be okay. I'm not saying the Fed can do that, and we're all good. That it's not. That is not a, a commentary on my monetary policy beliefs. Do we need to pause for a uh, disclaimer? Exactly. <laughs> so I want to make sure that's very, uh, very clear. Um, but the, the point being is resources in life, it, once they're tied to any kind of limited belief, that becomes very frustrating because nothing happens without the source of leverage. And, I, and when I look at my children and I think, you know, there's the old adage of it really does take a community to build a child. I believe in that. I believe very strongly in that, that I am not the only influence on my child. So I need to be around good people that hold the same beliefs as I do. So those influence will affect my children because they're going to be raised by this greater surrounding in children and adults and location. Well, that's a form of leverage to raise my children, right? Um, and I, once you start applying these things and there's so many resources for your kids to do better on and on and on. So anyways, this idea that progress is the goal I needed to leverage and to have uh, fuse security and progress to, or uh, security and freedom together. This creates the compounding nature, which generated really strong ideas around how revenue is controlled, grown and sourced which led us to real estate and owning the sources of the revenue and understanding how compounding works, right? So this was all at a time when I had made some um, not very wise business decisions. And by not 
very wise. I mean, I totally screwed the pooch. Um, and <laughs> was uh, uh, in one of those phases where you're like, okay, well, I'm the stupidest person alive. Uh, time you know, to reevaluate. So, time to reevaluate everything that I'm doing in life because <laughs> what I'm doing is not working. Um, it was one of those moments. Dude, they're so fun. The best. The best time. The best. <laughs> so, um, you know, when I started looking at my financial position and what I was doing, um, there, there's multiple ways that people build wealth and create income. You have what I call um, scalable uh, um, or a, a growth mode, which is you create wealth and income through scale. Um, you have a cash flow or a cash base basis mode which that I think a lot of like service businesses, you do things or uh, uh, to receive um, cash payments, right? Um, and then you have equity-based, which are physical assets or businesses that appreciate without really exchange. And obviously real estate's the biggest one of those. These three different models, for me, um, it seemed like they were all a trade-off. I had to trade one or another. And, and that's how I think a lot of investment advisors and uh, um, uh, very smart people uh, propose it like that, which I just didn't agree. I didn't, I didn't believe that you traded risk for return, right? So you learn in your MBA and in your business classes that returns are directly tied to risk. It's a fundamental thing. Right, so the more risky it is, the higher rewards are, and the higher rewards are obviously it has to be more risky. And so when you're looking at um, retiring, you just need something very safe that will generate a very low return, um, and you need to live off of it. Um, those things didn't inherently make sense after you start looking at the economy, because the safest assets didn't always generate great returns. In fact, they went bankrupt. Um, and risky assets um, turned out in the long run to not only be not risky, they were some of the most stable returns that we've seen in the last 20 years. And so, you know, when looking at actual returns and how economics is performing, yes, there's an underlying rule. I get it. You're not going to get the returns investing in a um, in a duplex that you are in a startup. And a duplex is really low risk and a startup is really high risk. I'm not saying that those things don't exist. I'm just saying they're not directly correlated as I think schools and things make it sound or financial advisors make it, they put it just very simply. It's like they're giving us a, a pitch, right? This is kind of making like, like a general statement. You know, yeah. what, where you're saying like, oh, well, all of this is this way or all of that is that way. When in reality, in the real world, generally speaking, that might be the case, you know, for a, a large majority of certain things. But on so many things in life, we you have to take them on a case-by-case basis. And I, I, don't, I can't think of anything that's more dynamic or more changing than, than business or investing that you would absolutely need to take everything case-by-case. Case. I mean, just due to, you know, points in time throughout history um, points in the markets, you know, cycles that we're in. Um, I mean, the different tools that are available at those different points in time, yeah. whether it's, uh, I mean, legislative-wise or any of that other stuff. Yeah. I mean, so much of this stuff is constantly changing. and it's dynamic. Yeah, yeah. It's not going to be a one-size-fits-all thing all the time. You can't generalize. No. 
and your investment strategy. Obviously, that doesn't make sense for investment advisors, which are really just picking mutual funds or whatever that they sell for their firm. But when I look at it and I start saying, okay, hold on, I can if 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 I'm looking at a risk to reward ratio, and um, there's this old adage that. Um, a well-diversified portfolio, you have like 20% equity, 80% bonds, um, and that is a balanced, safe, secure spread. There's inherent flaws to that, first of all, and that's, it, it, ask any financial advisor, that's standard. If you want really low risk, steady returns, 80% bonds and 20% equities, um, but you're calculating risk on two different assets as if they're the same. So you're saying that the risk or the your standard deviation on that risk is the exact same as the other asset. So that's why one, you have to have 80% more because you mm-hmm. want to lower the risk of the other one. So in, in basically you're saying, once again, if you had 80% stock and 20% dividend, you have 80% risky and 20% uh, safe. And so you want to in, make that not, you want to say 80% bonds, 80% really secure and still get some of the upside of the 20%. But bonds and stocks don't have the same risk profile. So you can't weight the risk the same. So all of a sudden I'm going, you're comparing two different things like they're apples to apples and they're mm-hmm. not. Yeah. So you that risk spread doesn't make sense inherently. Right. And so when I started looking and saying, okay, um, if I'm starting up a business... There's ways to do it very risky. There's ways to do it safe. But when you're looking at overall returns and performance in the marketplace, uh, if I do a startup that can have great returns, um, what do those returns look like? So am I getting in you know three years, 150% return? And I think most people would say, yeah, that's an excellent return for a startup. And that's something you can't get in a safe, secure asset. But we get that in storage. So it does, that doesn't make sense. And um, these themes that I think we fall into and we believe tell us that you're supposed to get X amount of returns based upon X kinds of assets. And what I found is you can actually tie in cash flowing, equity, and growth all into the same model. So what what that what I thought, what we thought was we could tie all of the models into one and create a scalable uh, business model in a safe, secure real estate asset. So we could turn our money into tens of millions without ever losing the safety and security of real estate. I didn't need to go put it into a startup and roll the dice, so to speak, right? And then people say, yeah, but... You can't get to billions doing that, which I also disagree with. I don't think that's true at all um, because there's a lot of companies that are real estate based that are tens of billions of dollars. So for me, real estate then became a no brainer. If I was trying to really increase my income, really increase my equity, I wanted to get better every single year. I wanted to do it reliably, incrementally and uh, take a known rate return and generate it back into itself um, to get that repeatable process that creates compounding that self-storage self to me allowed that vehicle to be there. 
without once again sacrificing or saying, um, I am, I, first of all, I'm separating my time from my money and I'm not taking on risk that would sacrifice our, our life savings in a way that is irresponsible. And this is an important thing for a lot of people, right? A lot of people work very hard to get their savings. And when they invest it, it's a big deal because that investment is tied to their time. So if I lose $100,000, what that represents to me is not just money. That's $100,000 of work at whatever you work per hour, right? That you could have spent doing anything, right? Looking at birds, anything that wasn't, you know, doing something maybe that you don't like doing. Right. Um, so I didn't want to lose that time because for me, that time represented sacrifice away from my children and family. And as long as I was moving it towards, we could. So how storage played into this was the fact that these, in, in order to get this, in order to really speed up compounding effect of your capital, um, you need to be able to uh, uh, speed up the cycle of buying, right? And then returning the money. So for me, when we started to evaluate, buying a stabilized asset that produced a 12% return we just looked at the math and I said, okay, if I put X amount of money in, I got a 12% return, I would need to accumulate whatever 12 years worth of that 12% return to re-put into another asset to get another 12% return, right? That's compounding. So I need to shorten the time, but I also needed to raise my return. And so the question is, can I shorten the time frame in which my capital is tied up and can I increase the return on my investment? That will speed up my growth. So under that, we found how can we do that without, once again, being reckless, okay? We don't want to be reckless. We don't want to take, you know, one step forward and three step backs. So I found if I could buy good deals that had upside in them, my money's already secured and I'm already getting a good deal. It may not be amazing, but if nothing changed in the performance of that asset, it's still a good deal. It'll still cash flow. I have equity, all that, right? But then the ability to use operations to increase the revenue, that can increase the uh, uh, return that I get while still keeping the security of real estate. And then that condenses the time in which I can refi, pull my money out, put it in on recourse, so now I'm even safer than that asset is even safer to me than when, before I started. It's still generating a cash flowing return. So it's a still cash flowing asset. I have equity in it and I keep using the money reinvest to get the growth or the scale. And at a certain point, this scales very, very quickly because I can use the cash flow and the return in the equity to grow my assets, right? And so you can... It, once you have the model down, then you can use two sides to grow and grow very quickly, right? So we used cash flow and we would, as we built them up and refinanced, use the equity to buy more. At a certain point, you can do that with just your cash flow because you're making so much money. So then you can just keep buying. And then the equity on top of that, as it rolls over, is a huge burst. And then that's when you get the hockey stick, right? That's when it goes boop and starts popping up. So I didn't want the hockey stick approach to be at the end of my life 
when I'm 70 years old. Mm -hmm. And so for us, that's where the value add strategy came in. And I know this is long winded, but I wanted to just kind of do an episode here where I went through my thought process, why we came up with this particular mode of investing, which we, once again, we do conversions ground up, we do it all, but particularly for people, because when I'm reading your comments and I understand you guys are dealing with your savings, your hard earned money, you're dealing with investors money. You don't want to be reckless. You don't want to be careless. And you may be worried about getting into assets or investing those monies or starting the business that don't view it as a one or the other. So you can merge those things together. And then as you go, as you get better, your knowledge increases, you start to reduce risk. You use financial vehicles and legal documents to also lower risk, which we've gotten very good at doing. Um, And really you become now scaling becomes how fast can I bring people in and how many people can I partner with to execute? So now after you got that process done, right? So after I know my, my strategy and that is, let's call this one, the, um, which our, our strategy involves three. We, we have our turnarounds, we have our development and we have our conversions, which we've got all three down then it's how fast can I execute on those things, okay? Now you move on to the next stage. And this is building a framework in which you can execute quickly because the uh, your ability to grow is only as good as, as you can execute. So then you got to start the quality of your partners, the quality of your hire, right? Your systems and processes that you put into place to execute the strategy that you built becomes extremely important because you're only as good as that business framework that you build. And if the framework is weak, then you'll collapse upon yourself. So then you move into this whole next phase. So, and then that's when we got into after five, six years, then it was like, okay, we can't obviously do this all. We have to build a whole entire process for execution. And we did that and we grew, you know, horizontally and vertically. I've talked about that quite a few times. And then it came where I understood better use of my time, where my time was needed to be designed to really focus in on high impact decisions to uh, make sure that we can execute. And that's when all of a sudden we came in to going, I need to increase our reach. I need to increase um, the quality of deals and the amount of deals and the people that we um, are meeting with, partners that we have, investors, and therein lied after our framework was done and everything to take it to a new level, that's when we started Cedar Creek Wealth, and that's when we started, I wrote the book, and we're doing the podcasts, and we're trying to do more outreach. It is to speed up our execution. Um, so this is, it, it, this is really when you're on, when, when you're starting down that path, right? You don't see the third step. So developing the strategy is the only thing that you care about the first. It's, it's very linear. This asset is good. I think there's upside. I'm going to buy it and it's going to produce cash flow, right? So you have this linear type of decision-making. Then once you see that it works, it's like, Hey, I, I want to do this again, but maybe I don't have enough money to do it. Right? Maybe I need other things. So then it's all about speeding up. How can I do this more? So then it's, can I take cash out? Can I grow the equity? Can I take investors to do it again? So then you got to figure out all that stuff. 
Then once you figured out how to do it more, then it's how many can I do? How fast can I do? And I view that as the three phase phases that every real estate person goes through. And one of the big things is that people get in trouble with and they run into is they become their own their own barrier to success. Mm-hmm. They, they end up stopping themselves, right? Because they're controlling too much and they either get burnout or they don't have enough reach. And that's where it comes into, once again, you need to get in a position where you're working on the business, not in the business. Um, and I think for most people, that is freedom. Because the, the reason freedom works is the business model is growing without me. It's not even that it's, sustaining, but it's actually growing and it can grow. You're putting in place the people and the processes to grow that is not tied with your time. So now you have exponential growth because back to the very start of of this podcast, we talked about the goal of progress. Progress is tied with time. I want exponential progress. And then in this case, we talk economic progress. Um, The only way you have to work hard, but working hard has nothing to do with super successful people. Nothing. It's it's just not in the equation because there's only so hard you can work. There's only 24 hours a day. Super successful people, they create a model that's completely separated from them and their time, and that can grow exponentially. Um, and so for me, that was the goal. I wanted exponential progress that wasn't associated with my time. And for a lot of people, they mix some of these phases up, I think. They want that at the first, right? And so they go, oh, I want financial freedom. I'm either going to buy one deal or, and what they end up doing is they buy themselves a job. Right. Because they think that it's a one home run and I'm done, right? They think if I could just hit a home, just one home run, I'm retired, I'm sitting on a beach. Not realizing that the game doesn't end after you bat. Well, and even kind of like we started talking at the beginning of the podcast as well, which I thought was a really good talking point, was that aspect of, of or the expectation of there actually even being an end. Yes. Um, and David Goggins talks a lot about about this aspect as well. I know you follow him, and, yeah. and a lot of people out there follow him. Um, super awesome dude. If you if you don't know who he is, check him out, David Goggins. But he he talks a lot about this concept of it never ending, you know, whatever it is, you know, whatever, if, if it's your struggle, if it's your, your life, your, your goals, your ambitions, just live without the expectation of that end being there, you know, it, and that applies to investing where kind of just like what we're talking, what we're talking about here, where you can't put the third step first or this or that, or these expectations of, okay, well, I'm going to do just this one deal, or I'm going to do this one thing, and then it's going to be huge and I'll be done. And it's like, that's, that's not, at all the expectation that you should have. I find when people say, listen, I just want to make the minimum to cover my expenses and not work anymore. Those are usually the people that never get there. Right. Because that doesn't happen with that first hit. Right. That doesn't happen with a one hit homer. I'm not saying it can't like you may make $50,000 a year and you may get an invested in a startup or something like that. But the expectation that that's what it takes or is going to do that. That's where you fail. Mm -hmm. Um, because you're mixing those things up. You're seeing someone that has created a financial vehicle and then they cre- they could repeat the process and then they created a system to get themselves out of the process to be able to repeat 
and you're looking at that third phase in a lifetime saying, oh, I want that, so I'm going to invest in that financial vehicle, and I'm going to get it. That's not how it works. And so you need to be, and progress doesn't work like that. I don't care if you're talking, once again, relationships, if you're talking you know, relationships, a perfect example. You see the old couple and you're like, I wish we were like that. Right. And you're like, well, they've had, you know, 60 years of trial and everything else like <laughs> exactly. that to, to get there. It's so, not all rainbows it, and sunshine. It, exactly. Sure. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I guarantee you. Uh-huh. So the married couple, you know, that's been together for 60 years, love is not the same as the newlyweds, right? There's a difference between passion and love. And it, you got to realize that too, that there's a difference between passion right? And reward. And if you're searching for that thing that you just love all the time, which everybody knows I love self-storage, right? But going out on the weekend and shoveling snow for units and cleaning out (laughs) units on the weekend, right? Yeah. I would be hard pressed to not lie if I said I loved doing those things, right? Um, And So there's always things that you don't love and that's okay. I have no expectation to love everything that I do. Um, And so I have a passion of the process and I have a passion in the progress that it creates, the change. I expect it to change. I want it to change. And with that, you can continue and then you can reach destination. So anyways, I feel like I'm just blabbing on here, but um, I think it's really critical. And I think that- this yeah. thought process of understanding, because I'm really big. I, I had an email today from one of our listeners, and they mentioned, they said, you know, this is all great, but because I, I do this too, information is only as good as the source that it's coming from. When I was getting my MBA, they, we, we qualified sources is like the most important thing ever. So when, you, when it was just drilled into our head, that if this isn't a peer review source, like news, like newspapers could not be more. It just, yeah. If you're watching something on CNN or Fox or whatever it is, that is just so not relevant. It's not qualified. It's not because the source of it, first of all, nobody trusts anymore. Um, but it's a bad source. So mm-hmm. you're looking at peer reviewed, unbiased documents, right, to create uh, inputs so the output is coming out without bias, that you're getting just an answer, right? Right. And you need to do that with yourself. You need to look at those inputs and why those people are doing the things that they're doing, where that information is coming from, because that's relevant and it's important. And the email that I got, I I loved it. I I was responding to the guy and I'm like, your thinking's correct. You know, where is this information coming from? How did it get there? Why are we at the point where we're at what was driving us? Because everybody listening, you're at some point in your life, whether you're happy, you're not, you're wanting to move forward. Obviously, you're listening to this podcast. You want to know more. You're trying to improve your position, which is great. So look at the inputs that you're putting in because that's what's going to determine those outputs. Um, and so for me, when we started out and understanding those drivers and what we were doing, just make it sure it's not short term long-term thinking. Now, back to storage, when you're when we were dealing with this in storage, right? The financial vehicle that you use um it, it really is only as good as what you do with it. So, is self-storage the end all cure all for everyone? Obviously not. That's just not true. Um I have multiple businesses and I could do other businesses, 
right? But the benefits of this in the macroeconomic terms, which we talked about, I think it was the last podcast or something, mixed with my needs and what I'm looking for in life, it's a perfect vehicle for my destination and what I'm trying to achieve. Now, there's other people and I have friends, they're, they're, they're young, they're developers, and they're like, I'm going for the absolute sky's the limit. I just want to kill it. I want to blow it out of the water and I want to do it in three years. And there's financial vehicles that people can do that in. That exists, right? Now, that is not for me, for because I'm not that smart. And so those opportunities probably are not. Well, there I don't for know. Me, I but... bet you I bet you could do it. I bet you could. So but um, you know, so understanding how self-storage fits in with what you guys are trying to accomplish, that's the key. And understanding how you can utilize it to help you guys progress. I, I hope it fits you guys. I hope it's great for you. Um, and guys, write in, let us know. Let Absolutely. us know. Tell us, um, which I, I literally, I've read probably 30 emails today from everybody um, telling me what's going on in their lives. They're talking about, you know, everything. And I just can't help. I just sit there and, I, and I'm just reading because I'm eating it up um, because I've been there. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, and, and, and I see that starting and that fire and that opportunity and everything. So it gets us excited. So thank you guys for your responses and everything. I'm sorry if this was just a soapbox, but. I hope it gives you some insight into why we picked self-storage, why we're doing what we're doing, where we came from, and the process of getting here to today. Because I think I want to know that with every single source of podcast or whoever I'm listening to. So we try to be very you know, open about that and talk about the things that are outside the tactical, which um, I think we're heavy on the tactical. For um, sure. Yeah. And not that that's bad. That's it's that that is intentional. I don't want to be a fluff podcast or anything. Um, that's how the book was. <laughs> the book was 184 pages of tactical. I I wanted it to be. Listen, you pick it up and you can do something. I, I didn't want to just say, you know, imagine your yacht in an ocean every single day when you wake up and before you know it, you'll have it. Because that stuff never worked for me. I imagine my yacht every single day. I still don't have it. <laughs> you so, don't have one just no, hiding out somewhere, huh? It's just you, you just crazy. don't know about it yet. You're not <laughs> thinking hard enough. It. Exactly. <laughs> I, that's why I'm not imagining hard enough. So It's got to be clear. It's got to be very clear. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I, I think it's been a fantastic episode, man. And, and uh, I think it's a good change of pace just you know throwing these in here every now and then to kind of talk about some of these aspects. Again, these fundamentals. Um, because a lot of people that are listening to this are wanting to grow and build wealth within self-storage, obviously. Um, and we covered a lot of those aspects to building wealth. So you've got your cash flow, you've got your leverage, you've got your, um, you're limiting your risk. You've got also, I mean, we didn't really touch on it, but the ability to reduce your tax exposure yes. um, through real estate investing, yes. um, which a lot of people are already aware of. And that's a, a whole nother podcast in and of itself yeah, or good. several. Yeah, that's a really good one, actually. We'll do that one next time yeah so uh yeah i mean all of the self-storage fits in meshes well with all of those aspects of building wealth that that are the most important that that most every wealthy individual or company or whatever it is have used and is currently utilizing to 
continue to grow and build their their own wealth. So no, I, I think this has been an awesome podcast. And uh, absolutely, you know, get at us with your messages, your questions, and um, let us know. Let us know where you guys are at. Again, we're passionate about this stuff and love hearing from you guys and, and where you're at and all these things. We do, we do have one thing before everybody goes. Uh, I didn't say it at the first. I usually say it at the first. I said it at the last. We would like to thank our incredible, amazing, stupendous, wonderful sponsor, Janice. Janice is a sponsor of our podcast along with Store Local, which they work together. So for those of you that don't know, Store Local is a co-op of um, self-storage owners that get together and they get buying power. We shared knowledge. Um, there's uh, a lot of founding members that joined. We were one of them because we wanted to share resources to compete with like the REITs. Um, Janice has teamed up with store local as well as us and introduced keyless technology through Noki. As long as most people know Janice, and if you don't, you need to go look them up to understand more about the metal fabrication and what they do. Um, they are an absolute staple, if not the biggest by far, probably the, in, in the self-storage space uh, for metal fabrications. And they, they've been really trying to um, be innovative in what they're doing and getting ahead of the curve. And right now, I believe they are the best solution for automation um, and keyless technology. Uh, there's a lot of workarounds that people are trying to do with automation that just don't work very well because they add extra steps um, and it's not seamless. Where for me, automation means I can do everything on my phone. If I can't, it's not automated. Um, and the Nokia technology allows you to do this. We need to make a whole video on it. There's case studies. If you go go online and look up um, either AJ Osborne, Nokia, or Keylock Storage, Nokia, there's white papers on our projects that we've done utilizing Nokia. Um, there's a lot of good stuff. So we, we'll put that on our site too. Um, but we asked them to be sponsor. We were going to bring on a sponsor and I went directly to them because we believe in those future changes. And we talk about progress and we're talking about on this podcast. We want to be progressing the industry. That's really important to us. We wanted to actually be making things better in this industry, helping out, being on the forefront. And Janice is in the same boat. They're doing awesome stuff. Go check them out. Um, but yeah. And we had them on the podcast as we well. So um, quite, a, quite a number of episodes ago, um, you can just search on the podcast. Uh, that episode is called Self-Storage Automation and the Future of Storage uh, with Janice International's Noki. Janice International's Noki. Um, so definitely go check that out. Listen to that. Uh, we had a couple of uh, Janice Noki guys on, and they really just ran through everything that they do and what they offer. And um, it's, it's really incredible. And, and just as the title suggests, it, we believe that it is the future of storage and, and what will become the standard um, as technology continues to uh, further embed itself in our everyday lives and expectations. So, You know, uh, to another thing, everybody, we're, we're kind of wrapping this up and talking about it. We mentioned our sponsors. Um, but you can go to the site, selfstorageincome.com. That's where, too, if you leave the review for the book, you go on there. We send you the modelers. Or I don't know if I mentioned where you go at the first, if I didn't, excuse me. Um, but also go to AJ Osborne on Instagram. You guys want to follow me, DM me. It's going to take me a little while to get back to people. So I do, <laughs> a, do apologize, but please do DM me, email me. I'm going to get 
get get to all of you. Um, it's actually a, a major focus, and I'm trying to reply and have conversations and everything. It's one of the things I enjoy. So go AJ Osborne Instagram, guys. You can find me, follow, see what see what we're up to. But anything else, Dad? That's a no, lot man. For today. Yeah, solid episode. Love That's it. Right. I hope you guys enjoyed my soapbox. And with that, we're out. <laughs> Take care, guys.